and we're going to work our way from Acts 20, 17 to 32. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to, the gra uh, to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good afternoon, Echo Church. Good to be with you all. We are taking a break from our Isaiah study. We've been, I think we've done about 13 or 14 weeks now in Isaiah. We're right in the middle of it, but we decided to pause as a church and, church and to take four weeks to go through what are the qualifications, what are the requirements, um, and, and everything that sort of Scripture has to say about elders. So we are something called a congregational church. So if you're new to us and you're, you're not aware of how we function as a church, um, our conviction is that it is the people of God, specifically the members of the church, that are, are responsible to make some of the weightier, heavier decisions of the church. And so that's not everything. That doesn't mean that we all get together and vote on the color of the carpet or, you know, what we should paint the walls. It means that the big things, the major things that have to do with the direction of the church are actually in the hands of the members of the church to make these decisions. And so I became very just aware over the past few weeks uh, and really in the past month or two that we're moving now towards a place where we're going to need at some point to bring on uh, new el elders. I am the only elder that has been voted in at this point. Our bylaws, if you're interested in those kinds of things, actually state that we need to have a plurality of elders. Well, this isn't a plurality. So we are currently operating out of bylaws, um, and, but we're a church plant. So this is how it works, right? So uh, we are in the process now of, of, you know, sort of going through with, with certain men who have, have um, sort of risen up to be leaders in the church, and we're going through and having those conversations with them, and then we're going to at some point, and I'm not going to say when, I, I don't even know at this point when, we're going to put up um, at least one man, and if not multiple men before you, uh, to vote as a congregation on who will be the fellow pastors that will, uh, that will along with me, will lead the church. And that's weighty. That's a huge decision. Churches have, have either gone forward in life or have died based upon the decision of who should be an elder. And so it became just heavy on me over the past month or so as we're going through Isaiah, and I'm loving going through Isaiah, but it became just very clear to me that what we need to do is we need to open up God's Word, and we need to look at what God's Word has to say about elders. 
And we need to just get the Bible in front of us so that when the time comes, we can make a good decision about who we should choose. And so this, this may have the feel of sort of being an in-house sermon this Sunday, and I don't want you to feel that. Because in one sense, you're, you're, you're absolutely right if you feel that. In one sense, there are members that are out there that need to be hearing this because you members have a responsibility to choose faithful elders when the time comes. However, there are others of you out there this may be for those who are interested in joining Echo Church. So if at any point in, in, in the future you're thinking, this may be my church home, I may want to, to, to become a member and to sort of settle in here as a church, then this is also for you. Not only that, this is for men in the church who may want to be elders one day. Whether you're here with Echo and you want to be uh, an elder at Echo, or whether you find yourself in another church somewhere and you say, you know, I think that's something I may want to do one day, then this is for you. However, it's also for men that don't want to be elders necessarily. They don't feel that call on their heart, but are still called to reflect these things in their lives. Because one of the things you're going to find when we go through these next few weeks and we open up 1 Timothy chapter 3 together and we talk about the qualifications of the elders, one of the things we're going to find is how, as it's been said before, how unremarkable those qualifications are. In other words, this is something that every Christian man is to embody and is to have in their lives. So even if it's something where you're saying, hey, I don't know that eldering is in my future, this is for those men in here that are just, they want to lead their families well. They want to lead, their, their, uh, they want to lead the, the environments that they are in, the groups that they're in, where they find themselves leading. They want to lead with a Christ-like leadership. This is for the women in the church. This is for those who are married and that you would know how to pray for your husband, that you would ask God to help him. You would come alongside him and help him to become that man, that's Christ-like man that is spoken of when it comes to eldership here in the church. It's for the women in the church who are not married to know how to encourage your brothers in the Lord toward maturity and faithfulness and to know what to look for in a man one day if God calls you to, to marriage. And finally, and, and may it not be least, at least in my heart, this is for your pastor. This is for the one person right now who has the title of elder the one person up to this point that, that, that is hoping that he's doing the responsibilities that the Lord has called him to and making sure that as I get my eyes on this text that I'm being faithful and that I can stand before God one day and say, Lord, I've, I've, according to your word, I've tried to live this out faithfully. So this is for me to open up God's word together and to dive in as to what does he say that an elder is supposed to do? What does he say that an elder is supposed to, what kind of qualifications is an elder supposed to have? How do we see the elders and the congregation working in their life together? What are the things that we see sort of surrounding this whole idea of eldership? And that's what we're going to do over the next four weeks. We're going to spend time opening up God's word and, and talking about eldership together. So let's open up to our text now. Let's look at it here. In our text, and I just want to give you a very, very quick context as to what's happening here. We're not going to spend a ton of, ton of time on the context. We're not working through the book of Acts right now. However, I do want you to know that Paul, the Apostle Paul, is, is finishing up his sort of missionary journeys. And he's already seen a church planted in Ephesus, and he's already spent years there in ministry. And one of the things he's done in ministry is he's raised up elders at the church in Ephesus. And he's developed a great relationship with these men so that they have, they have a brotherhood and they have a relationship and a kinship between, the, the, between them. But now Paul is fairly aware, he's pretty certain that he is not going to see these men ever again. He is fairly certain that at some point someone's going to get a hold of him, either it's going to be the Jews or the Romans, and he's going to be executed for his faith. And he actually believes that to be true. And so he gathers now these elders together for one last tearful goodbye to say to them, here are some last things I want to tell you about your role as elders before I leave you and we don't see each other until heaven. 
So that's the context. That's what we're talking about here. He gathers these men together. Now, here's what I want you to see about this section. You will see commands for sure from Paul. You will see him say directly to the elders, do this. But don't miss out on the way Paul oftentimes commands people. Paul doesn't just command people with direct commands sometimes. Sometimes Paul will say, here's how I lived when I was with you. Hint, hint. In other words, do as I have done. Follow my example. But it's no less a command from the Apostle Paul when he talks about the way he lived among them than when he gives them a direct command. So let's not miss those as we go through the text together. Okay, so I see here now five different categories that the Apostle Paul uses when he's talking about elders in this next section. Okay, so in these next verses that Sarah read, we're going to see five categories. The first category is this, how elders live. That's in Acts 20, verses 19. Verse 19. How elders teach. That's Acts 20, verses 20 through 21, and also verse 27. What elders value. That's Acts 20, 24. What and how elders guard. That's Acts 20, 28, and 31. And then what elders remember is Acts 20, verse 32. Okay, so we're seeing these five categories... And we're seeing now Paul kind of break it down. And if you're taking notes now, here's the main point of the entire sermon. It is this. Elders serve the Lord in His power by living and teaching the Word at great cost to themselves. Okay, so let's try that one more time. Elders serve the Lord in His power by living and teaching the Word at great cost to themselves. Okay, so let's jump into the text now, Acts chapter 20, and we will be in verse 19, and let's start with how elders live. Let's look at the text together in verse 19. He says in verse 18 first, and when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Now, so we should be keying in right now on how is it that Paul lived? What is he commanding the elders to do now in their living? How are they now supposed to live? So here's what he says about himself. But like I said, this is a command to them. Starting in verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Okay, let's remind ourselves that people wanted to kill Paul for what he preached. What he preached wasn't popular. It was safe to say that, that he was making enemies everywhere he went. And so now he is saying here that I, but I, but I served the Lord with humility. So I, I, was, I was making enemies where I went. People wanted to kill me, but at the same time, I, I served with humility, which is a strange thing to say considering people are trying to kill you, and then to say, but I served with humility. What does it mean to be humble here for the Apostle Paul? We tend to think of humility as being, you know, willing to yield to another person. You know, humility is something where, where if we're in the midst of an argument, okay, I'm not going to argue my point too heavily because, you know, I'm going to be humble. I'm going I'm to let you have your say. Humility in, in, in our modern day is sort of just, I, I avoid arguments. I avoid debates. I avoid discussion because I'm called to be kind and nice. And arguments are not nice. Arguments cause people to raise their voice and we would never want to raise our voice. But Paul says here that in the midst of people who hate me and who were trying to kill me, I was humble. Paul's definition of humility here is that he stayed the course to preach the truth in the midst of people who wanted to kill him. And Paul says that was humility. And that's a different humility than we oftentimes speak of today. To stand for something, anything really, even outside of Christianity, to stand for something is now considered prideful. 
Oh, you're arrogant because you think you know the truth. You think you have the truth cornered. But Paul says here that for me to preach the truth in the midst of all of this persecution, that, that that's humility. Now, quick caveat, of course, you can preach the truth and be arrogant, right? We probably all know people like this. They, they kind of, we, we know, we agree with them on the truth, but it's kind of a how you said it kind of thing. Like you were a jerk while you said it. So you can be arrogant. You can preach it in a heavy-handed way. But I think what Paul is saying here is, is I did not waver from the truth. I, I, I preached it with grace. So it, so it doesn't mean here that he was, you know, he was humble in that he, was just, he just kept back from the truth. Listen, friends, we need elders who are willing to preach the truth no matter what it costs them. Whether it's jobs, that's coming. Family members who want nothing to do with them. Friends who want nothing to do with them. And maybe their freedom. I have asked the Lord for 30 years of ministry at Echo Church. Whether he gives it to me, I don't know. But that is what I have asked God consistently. God, give me 30 years here. I want to stay the course. I, I, I'm asking him. I'm praying to him. I know that that doesn't depend on me, but it's something that I am consistently asking. But in asking, I have often wondered what kind of a place this world will be in 30 years. And I do sometimes wonder if in that time, certain biblical truths will be considered worthy of imprisonment. Just to give you an example of what I mean, just this last month, February 8th, 2020, Switzerland passed a law that says it will now penalize public homophobia. It will now penalize public homophobia. Now, some of you are going, well, that's homophobia. Nobody wants homophobia. I completely agree. I completely agree. But I have two concerns about that, and I hope you can see them with me. Even in the midst of just completely denouncing the idea of homophobia, there's two concerns that are coming from this. And many, many nations, by the way, are following suit. The first is that there is certain speech by that government that is now being compelled. Speech is being compelled by the government. We have this thing that we love in our country called freedom of speech, but it seems that even in the midst of wanting to do something good, like say, we don't want homophobic people, they are compelling people away from freedom of speech. So that's my first concern. Second concern with this is probably bigger, and it is who gets to decide what is homophobic. Right now, it might have a certain definition. But 30 years from now, may it have the definition of simply standing up here like I am doing now and preaching that homosexuality is a sin. May that one day be the, the equivalent of the, you know, the secret police come in the back door and arrest me and the other elders of the church. And here's the point of this whole thing. Choose men who will go to jail for the truth. Choose those kinds of men to lead the church because it may be one day that we are going to jail together. Some of you may say, well, you're, you're completely overreacting and I, I, I will, that, that may be true and may that be true. But I, I, I get concerned as I see certain things in the news today so elders must speak truth with humility no matter what persecution stands against them. So first and foremost, elders need to be those kind of men. Let's look at Acts chapter 20, verses 20 to 21. How do elders teach? 
20 to 21 says this, how, this is Paul continuing now his life amongst them, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then let's skip down to verse 27, and I want you to see something there. Look in verse 27, for I, again Paul, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So being a faithful elder means teaching, first, everything in Scripture. Everything in Scripture. Do you see it there in both verses 20 and 27? He says, I didn't shrink from declaring to you anything, anything that was profitable from God's Word. I didn't shrink from it. And then verse 27, the whole counsel of of God. We don't get to ignore parts of the Bible. Elders need to be capable of teaching all of it. Old and New Testament. The, the, the topics that are hard as well as the topics that are, what shall we say, a little bit more agreed upon by the culture. The job of an elder is to make the truth of God's word come to bear upon each situation. So, my job as a preacher right now is to bring the truth of God's word to bear upon a congregation that's listening and hearing the word. And may it be that I'm being faithful in doing that. But in a counseling session, an elder or a pastor, their job is to bring the truth of God's word to bear into that marriage or into that situation or into that anxiety or into that depression. To take God's word and to say, here is the part of God's word that I think is profitable for this particular moment. The Puritans used to call pastors physicians of the soul. I like that. I was like, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a doctor. So, hey, see, I get to be one. I'm just kidding. Physicians of the soul. A physician doesn't go to, doesn't go to medical school and learn one treatment and then walk around just trying to give everybody that one treatment. Like, how ridiculous would that be, right? Well, there's only one thing I know. They taught me one thing in medical school, so here's a shot, and I don't know what you have, but you're cured, you know? Sometimes we can approach the, we can approach the problems of life with, well, here's a verse. Don't really know how well it applies, but it's the one I've memorized. So let me give it to you and just see how you do there. Sometimes we do this with the gospel, you guys. The same repeated mantra of the gospel over and over and over again, and I give it out to everybody no matter what's going on, and I just say the same words, and it's just like, we could just get a little assembly line going on here, and everybody would have their counseling problems taken care of, right? Just, just have the same tape playing over and over and over again. No. That is not how, that's not how ministry works. That's not how discipleship works, whether you're a pastor or whether you're a Christian. The problem is this. God's word is multivaried. It is complex and rich and full and requires somebody diving deep into that text so that then when they're with a person and there's a person that's saying, I'm in need of God's word right now, you reach down to that person, you can say to them, Here is what, here's what God's been showing me. Man, thank you. I feel like that was, that was exactly what I needed. How are we going to do that unless we know God's word? So we need men who are willing to teach everything in Scripture in the moment that they need to, to teach it in. Second, we need men, we need faithful elders who are teaching in every kind of situation. Do you see it there in the text? Verse 21, I'm sorry, verse 20, teaching you in public and from house to house. So he lists off two different environments now where Paul is, is giving out the word of God. And one of them would probably be the closest thing to, to you know, standing up and, and preaching, maybe even preaching in the street, what we used to call street preaching, right? Where you stand up and you just bring the word and you're going to preach a sermon and whoever comes and listens, that's probably something about what Paul did. And then you also come to people's homes, maybe something more akin to our version of like small groups. And he said, I taught in all of those environments. 
And an elder needs to be able to, to teach in a variety of different environments. And so I want to talk for a second about the elder's competence with the Word of God. How competent does an elder need to be when it comes to preaching and teaching? Here's what I think. Number one, every elder must have a deep grasp of the Word of God. That was the last point, right? Are we in agreement there? Every elder must have a deep grasp of God's Word. Number two, every elder must be able to pull truth from the Word that is faithful to the text. In other words, an elder knows how to go from the text that's written on the page to meaning that comes from that text and then be able to give that out to people, okay? So what we call that is that's, that's good reading, that's good, the fancy word is exegesis, you're pulling meaning now from the text, you're, you're going from the text and you're saying, well, here's what that means, and then there's application, there's giving out of that meaning to people in whatever situation they're in. Number three, not only do they need to read the text properly, draw meaning out properly, every elder must have a basic ability to communicate that truth no matter who is in front of them. So I can actually now apply the word depending on the person that's in front of me. And I can, I can, I can even seek the Holy Spirit to know how is it that I speak this truth to this person because it's different depending on who the person is that you're talking to. However, I think, number four, every elder does not need to preach from the pulpit. I don't think every elder needs to be a pulpit preacher. Why am I saying that? Where do I get that? Let's quickly look at 1 Timothy 5.17. I'm just going to read it quickly. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. An awkward text to read since I'm up here preaching and teaching, right? But it says, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. What does that mean there? There are some elders who labor in preaching and teaching. Do you get it there from the text? Some who do not. Now, that's not a clear divide. It's not like there's some elders who go, don't need to preach, don't need to teach, don't ever need to teach anybody because I'm not one of those elders. That's actually the way that they do it in the Presbyterian church. They make a very clear divide, and they say these elders are more the pastor types, the ones who are um, preaching from the pulpit, and then there's something called ruling elders in the Presbyterian church, and these are more the business types, and they're like, well, I don't get involved in preaching and teaching. I don't see that here. I don't see a distinction like that here. I think every elder, if you read other texts, every elder must be able to teach and must regularly be exercising that whether that's in a one-on-one -on -one setting, whether that's in a group setting, or whether that's some would say that they would like to preach from the pulpit. But it isn't a requirement for an elder to stand up here and, and, and preach. The, the other thing that is, it comes into play here is, and I'm just going to sum this up, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about different giftings, different giftings for different people in the body, in, in the church. And that's not just true of the body, that's true of an elder board. There are different giftings on an elder board that balance each other out. So that you can have, you know, one or a few people that say, man, communicating is my gift. It's what I love to do. I've got the gift of gab. That's my thing, right? And others would say, faithful men who are discipling maybe even quietly, right? They're not necessarily letting it all be known like some others are. And yet at the same time, they would go, I would never for a million years want to stand up there and do that. But they are godly, faithful, disciplers, one-on-one, -on -one, spending time with people, caring for them, loving them, counseling them. See, we don't want to look at one particular gifting and say, well, everybody's got to look like that. That's the exact opposite of what Paul's trying to do in 1 Corinthians 12, where he's saying, you know what, you're all different parts of a body. And don't look at one part of the body and say, well, I wish I was the eye if you're the ear. So elders are going to vary just like a church is going to vary. And we need to look for a variety of gifts when we're actually choosing men who will be elders. 
Number three, elders will teach, faithful elders will teach with the goal that the gospel be proclaimed and people would come to trust in Christ. Do you see it there in verse 21? Testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. You may recognize those two things that you see there, repentance and faith. This is how one comes to receive the gospel. They repent and they believe. They turn away from sin and they turn toward Christ in faith. And he says, that's what elders are always aiming at in their preaching. They're aiming, their preaching and teaching is meant to be gospel-driven. It's meant to have these truths always behind it. The point here is that the Bible itself points towards Christ and towards his gospel. We aren't looking for men that specialize in studying who the beast is in the book of Revelation. We aren't looking for the specialists that know one particular book of the Bible and, and really just know that thing and talk about that thing over and over and over again. What we're talking about here is, is, is the whole scripture, the whole Bible pointing to Christ. And here's, here's the deal. Elders have to have the ability in their teaching to see where Jesus is in the text. And friends, as somebody who is responsible to be up here regularly, I'm just going to testify. That's not always easy to do. So our responsibility is to make Christ the center of what it is that we're doing in our preaching and our teaching. So let's move on from preaching and teaching to what do elders value? What do they value now? Being a faithful elder means valuing their ministry to the Lord, get this now, over their very lives. Their ministry to the Lord over their very lives. Let's look at verse 24, chapter, uh, chapter 20, verse 24. Paul says, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. Now, let me just say this to this room. This is not an elder thing. This is a Christian thing. This is what every Christian does. Every Christian should be saying with the Apostle Paul, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. Now, he's comparing that. He's comparing that to who he is in Christ and what his ministry is in Jesus Christ. It is impossible to have Christ and remain the same person you were before you came to Christ. If that happens, you are speaking Christ with your lips, but you, are not actually, you have not actually repented and believed in him in your heart. Here's how Jesus says it in Matthew 10, 39. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If you are a Christian in this room this afternoon, you have lost your life. Ephesians would say about you that the old man is now dead and you are now putting on Christ. Romans chapter 6 would say about you that you were baptized into Jesus' death. And when you rose again from the dead, you were raised to new life. And the life which you now live is the resurrected life. Galatians would say about you that you have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. All throughout the Bible is this idea that you're dead if you're a Christian. So elders... How much more so if they're going to lead the church need to demonstrate in the way they value their lives and the way they value things in general, how much they have died and have been raised again to new life in Christ. So much more to say on this. We need to move on. Elders value, faithful elders value now, let's look at verse 24, the second half, the marathon over the sprint. Elders value the marathon over the sprint. Let's look at it. If only, verse 24, second half, if only I may finish my course 
and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. Now, here's what blows my mind about this text. Paul is looking to the finish line here. Paul's in the middle of his race somewhere. He's in the middle of his job, and he's looking now at the finish line, and he's saying, that's where I want to be over there. I'm looking to finish the race while he's in the middle of the race. We need elders who know how to do this. We need elders that understand the consistency of the Christian life, right? We need elders that are looking to the end and saying, I want to be a faithful believer in the end. I don't want to flame out. I don't want to run with a sprint and then die halfway through. There's a maturity and there's a wisdom in this. We don't need a flurry of activity in this church. We need men who are willing to be faithful. They're willing to walk if that's what the, the timing that the Lord has for them. Always moving forward, yes. But to move forward at the pace that God has given them based upon the season of life that they're in maybe, right? There are some men that we're going to bring on that are going to have at, their, at times in their lives, extremely busy times in their lives. And they know how to dial it back and go into more of a trot, right? And then eventually they can pick up the pace later on. Friends, I want to remind you, discipleship is what elders do. Discipleship is slow. It's sometimes painful. And it's always a messy process. Are we not discipling? When we disciple one another, are we not discipling sinners? Sinners. That means that we're messy. And that means that discipleship isn't this quick fix, you're done, got it, move on to the next kind of thing. It's the kind of thing where you spend a lifetime with somebody, walking with them. We need elders that are willing to do that, willing to go the, the distance in their faithfulness. And every elder must be a discipler in this church. That's not a negotiable job in Scripture. That's not something that some do and some don't. All Christians disciple and so elders must be discipling. So we should look for elders that know how to pace themselves and our church for a long ministry. They know how to lead the church so that a hundred years from now, may it be that Echo Church is still faithful and thriving when all of us are dead. That would be amazing. That'd be an incredible gift. How about what elders guard? Let's keep moving. What and how do elders guard? So let's start with this statement. Being a faithful elder means guarding, dot, dot, dot. Let's look at the verse, Acts 20, 28. Pay careful attention, Paul says now. Notice we've shifted into a command. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So first thing, what do elders guard? Elders, first and foremost, guard themselves. Elders guard themselves. An elder's first responsibility is that they make it to the finish line as believers. What good is it to a church if an elder drops out of the race entirely, falls away? How many stories have we heard of churches where either the main preaching pastor or another elder in the church was, was, was caught in some sin or, was, or just, just faced a moment where they even just walked away from the faith entirely. I've heard so many stories, way, way more stories than I would ever desire to. So Paul gives a wise command here, pay careful attention to yourselves. And you might say, okay, come on, the Apostle Paul, was he really worried about that? Was Paul worried about, like, not finishing the race? Come on, it's Paul here. It's the Apostle Paul. Did you ever consider this, though? Did you ever consider that Paul's concern for his own salvation was what made him so faithful? That his almost fear, might I even say, and I'm getting that from somewhere. Here it is. Ready? Philippians 2, 12 and 13. What does it say? That we should work out our own salvation. How? with fear and trembling, that Paul is doing this. He's doing what he's writing. Why would we fear? What are we fearing here? I think we're to fear that we might get to the end and stand before God and hear that we were never Christians. 
I think that's Paul's fear. I think Paul lived with a fear, and I think it was that. He says in 1 Corinthians 9.27, he says, But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest, after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He does not want to be disqualified at the end of the race. He wants to get there to where he sees Jesus and hears, Well done, good and faithful servant. And not, Matthew chapter 7, Depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. What else do elders guard? Elders, faithful elders guard themselves, but they also guard their fellow elders. They guard their fellow elders. I'm taking yourselves here in the verse to not just be individual, but the whole body of elders. So when it says, pay careful attention to yourselves, I think he's, he can also be referred to be meaning the group of elders. Pay careful attention amongst you elders so that you don't fall. Elders need to shepherd each, shepherd each other on the elder board. I don't want to lay hands hastily, you guys, on an elder. But I also desire to have a group of men that take a specific interest in my own spiritual health. And I know many of you do. Many of you do. But I just want you to know that as a, as a shepherd and as one who, who often finds himself, let's just say, on the, on the giving out end of discipleship, can we say that fairly? on the giving out, I'm often on the giving out end of discipleship at some point in this, the life of this church and soon, by the grace of God, I, I want, I'm going to look to the men on the elder board to say, pour into me, please. And you know what? They're going to look to me. And that's how it works. No one is at the top of the food chain in Christianity. We all are discipling others and being poured into. And if we don't, we're not going to last long. So an elder board, a plurality of elders is healthy because the elders are caring for one another in the process. They know each other's lives. They know how their marriages are going. They know what sin is, is, is entangling them and they're calling each other faithfully to live rightly before the Lord. And it's not that that can't happen now. And I, I currently do have that. I can see, there's a couple faces in this room where I do have that now. But there's just a sense in which it's good to have the elders in that kind of community. That makes for a healthy church when the elders are operating in that kind of community. Finally, what are elders to guard? They are to guard the church. Look at verse 28. By the way, which Jesus bought with his blood. Does that, does that intensify the job or what? You're to guard the church, elders. By the way, Jesus bought it with his blood. It's his bride. It's his love. Guard it. Man, I feel like I just, I just tremble at times. He talks about the flock of God here. Elders guard the church, and this is one of their primary responsibilities. By the way, it's why they're called shepherds. It's why they're called pastors. What do they guard it from? First, from wolves. Acts 20, 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own cells will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Now, this isn't a study on wolves. We'll get there at some point. Okay, but I'm going to move quickly through this. Wolves can attack the whole body of Christ. That's one kind of wolf. Wolves can also attack individual sheep within the body of Christ. Those are two different kinds of wolves. Who are wolves? A man who tries to enter the body to hurt one of our children is a wolf. A man who comes into the body specifically to try to manipulate a single girl can be a wolf. A person who tries to turn away a group of people from the teachings of the church or the trust of their elders is a wolf. And you need to find elders that have a certain mean streak in them. They have a certain grit to them. Not to be used towards the sheep. Never. Never, ever, ever should an elder be, be cruel or 
mean, or savage to a sheep. The mean streaks for the wolves. Some of you have heard it said before, but a shepherd carried a staff. And man, if they were a pansy with that staff, that wolf was getting those sheep. But those shepherds, man, they, would, they knew how to destroy a wolf with that staff because they loved their sheep. Martin Luther supposedly said this. I've never found it, just so, just so you know. If you go looking for it, I've never actually found this quote. Attributed to Martin Luther, he said this, you cannot be too gentle with the sheep and you cannot be too violent with the wolves. Echo Church, you need men who are willing to be violent with wolves. Not physically. We don't ever do anything physically as a church. Violent in the way they debate and defend and if need to, kick a person out of this church because of the love that they have for each and every one of you. We're not looking for weak men. We're looking for meek men. You know the difference? Weak men are just weak. Meek men are men with power who are under control. Jesus was the meekest man on earth. He was gentle. He was under control. But when it came time to unleash on the Pharisees, he didn't hesitate. And I got to say this, ladies, if you're single, don't, don't marry a, a weak man. He's feeling it. Marry a meek man. You don't need to figure out the difference. If you don't know how to figure out the difference, ask one of the elders to help you because that's the idea. If we raise up, if we have meek men on the elder board, they can point out another meek man and they can know the difference between a meek man and a weak man. So let's, let's get onto our board meek men so that we can lead the church with meekness and then at times, man, that gets unleashed when it needs to. We guard from false teachings. You see that in verse 30. Next, we see that he talks specifically about false teaching. How do elders combat this? By knowing their Bibles. We've already talked about this. It doesn't help to have knowledge if you can't argue for a certain position about Scripture. We're looking for men who are willing to go to bat for the truth that we love. So that combines the knowledge of Scripture that we talked about earlier and the meekness that we're talking about now, puts that together, and now you have a man who knows how to defend the truth. I'm going to skip one line here so that we can get to the last one. What do elders remember? Last thing. Being a faithful elder means remembering that God sustains an elder. Acts 20, 32. Now, now, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Why would Paul commend these elders to God? By the way, commend means to set them before God. Put them in front of him and say, here you go. Here you go, God. Why would he do that? Because Paul knows that this is the only way these elders will ever be up to the task. No elder just simply has it in themselves to be an elder. This is something God grants the church. He empowers elders to the task that he calls them to. And that's what we need is men who know that. They, they don't try to trust in themselves, but they simply say, okay, Lord, whatever it is you've called me to, you've empowered me to be able to do it. So God sustains elders. What else do we know? What else do they remember? They remember that they're built up by God's word. It's God's word that builds them up. Elders are able to do what they do because they are tapping into the Holy Spirit's power. Where is the Holy Spirit's power? Where is it that we actually grow and become transformed? What does scripture say? By beholding Christ. Where do we behold Christ? Right here. Right here. So as we are beholding Christ, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. Finally, elders remember that their ultimate goal is the same as all of God's people, to see Jesus face to face and to be with him for all eternity. An elder's ultimate goal is what all of our ultimate goals is. Elders need the gospel. Elders are to be the neediest people of the gospel in the church. 
They are to lead in their neediness of the gospel. They are to show other people how needy they are. They are sinners. They have fallen short of the righteous standard that God has for his creation. And this means that they, along with every other Christian, every other person, might I say, must cling to another for their righteousness and the removal of their sin. That's true of you. If you've walked into this room and you don't know Christ, this is true for you right now. That you find yourself now falling short of God's standard of righteousness. And now you must actually cling to another to receive that righteousness. In short, elders live the gospel. And who is the one that they cling to? Well, Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, and that is Jesus Christ. Elders are those who have clung to Christ for their righteousness. Elders are just Christians. That's all they are. There's no extra title added on to them. Of course, we call them elder, right? That's a, that's a position that they have. But they're Christians just like we're Christians. They're sheep first before they're elders before they're leading the sheep. They're members of the church who need to cling to Christ by faith. But if God calls an elder to that position, God is calling a man who will faithfully lead others to that same salvation that they have found. So, so friends, brothers and sisters, those of you who are in a position to, to vote when we vote on elders... Would you pick men who have those characteristics? None of them will be doing that perfectly. None of them. However, we need to pick men who are faithful, who are faithful and who will repent when they fall short of some of these things that Scripture calls them to. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I ask you now that you would give us as a church wisdom. We all together are empowered by your Spirit. If we're members here of Echo Church, we are empowered by your spirit to, to make wise decisions. I pray that you would make that true of us, that we would be, by your Holy Spirit, wise beyond our years. I look around, and we're a young church, Lord. We're a, we're a young church. I just confess that to you, not because it's sin, but because there's just sometimes so much inability and, and lack of wisdom that a young person has, and I'm one of them. And God, I ask that you would give us wisdom that we would know beyond our years how to choose men that are faithful so that they're able to one day pass the baton on to other men who are faithful and that this church lost lives longer than any of us and is a faithful pillar in this community for the truth. So God, help. We ask you now to come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.